Welcome back to the Own Your Potential podcast, where you'll hear stories from leaders across the globe about how they've taken control of their career growth and lessons on how you can too. I'm Peter Sherba, and today I'm very excited to be sitting down with Jason Rosenstein, founder of Portion and pioneer of the blockchain industry. Jason, very excited to have you on the podcast today. I've been looking forward to having this conversation for some time. Why don't we dive right in? Can you take us through your career journey leading up until this point? Yeah, and thank you so much, Peter, for having me on board. I've been following your podcast actively. Love everything you're doing. Really just a a great pleasure to be here. Awesome. Um, So yeah, my my career going forward, um, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a developer, and I, I really started working kind of actively in the blockchain space in 2011. And at that time, I was mining cryptocurrency. I mean, the entire market cap of the whole crypto space was really around 20 million total. So it was very small at the time. And I was really fascinated by what Bitcoin could do for financial transactions and how, you know, the unbanked could really take advantage of this new technology. Um, and, and really what, what happened was the technology began to expand and from first just being financial transactions, it moved into sort of sending data on the blockchain. And I started getting really involved with the internet of things and sending data and devices communicating over the blockchain because the whole ethos, as you know, is this, this, um, borderless, um, world that's completely decentralized that can be utilized with this technology. So, you know, devices communicating autonomously on the blockchain was something I was working on for a very long time um, at a company called the Blockchain of Things. And that transitioned, of course, into crypto art. And in 2016, I started getting fascinated with the possibility of verifying and tracking the authenticity and the provenance of physical assets on the blockchain. That was initially for high value assets that were in the physical world, like I mentioned, but in early 2017, I got involved making Rare Pepes, which was the first, in my opinion, of of the very popular NFTs that came to be following after that. And we positioned everything at Portion.io, the startup that I founded back then, to be doing digital art. And of course, by that point in time, Ethereum was beginning to be more more popular. And all of the stuff leading up to this, financial transactions, data transactions, now we're talking about art transactions on the blockchain. So we began to build a platform where people could trade digital art on the blockchain, fully autonomously executed on-chain. And it's it's become part of the infrastructure, which today is Portion. And one of the very many NFT plays that are out there in this kind of new domain that's being popularized. One of the really big reasons I wanted to chat with you on this is because I haven't really tapped into this space on the podcast. And, you know, as you talk about, for example, you know, mining crypto back when there was a $20 million market cap, it was a totally different world in so many different, you know, across so many different dimensions. And the concept of crypto and Bitcoin was so native at the time, it was largely unknown by the average consumer or person, right? So what was it like, uh, I guess, being in the space uh, as intensely as you were over those early years and balancing kind of, you know, 
figuring the space out, uh, you know, while also looking at it from like a career perspective or advancing a career in the blockchain space at that time? Yeah. So it was 2011 when, when I got into the space and, and Bitcoin was created in 2008 and in, it, in the beginning of 2009 as well. Um, the space, as I saw it in 2011, it was super small. You know, it was, it was a, a room full of really hardcore tech dudes who loved the technology. It wasn't so much about making money back then because Bitcoin had just had just got into the single digits and we're talking like two bucks a coin. It was really about the right. philosophy. It was about the ethos of what it could be. It wasn't until later when there, there started to be a lot of scams and a lot of people just in it for the cash grab. You know, It was right. really about the technology in those early days, which is what brought this, this core group together. Um, and I was part of the New York City group back then. And it was, you know, it was probably one of you guys once a week who would get together and talk about it. Right. And, and so as the, the kind of the, the space evolved, and as you mentioned, it was kind of about the ethos, right? In that moment, um, do you feel that even since that time, kind of the, the space has evolved and taken totally different shapes than maybe what was being envisioned just a decade ago? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's totally different and no one could ever have, have really uh, imagined what was going to transpire. You know, like it was really, it was about the financial transactions, about borderless transactions worldwide. And it just started to get more and more complex and more involved. And these, these layers just started to build and build on top of each other. You know, it was kind of like this organism that just started growing and growing in unexpected directions. Absolutely. And then so in founding, you know, the blockchain of things, you were coming off of a couple of different roles in kind of development type uh, spaces and roles, as well as doing I guess, delivering kind of turnkey mining rigs as part of uh, Coinographer, which is another kind of entrepreneurial venture you had earlier on. Once it got to the blockchain of things, right, as an entrepreneur, where were you drawing your kind of ethos and drive to, to build these types of initiatives or organizations from scratch, right? Because I think it's very easy for people to get lost in their passion for a space and look to find where they can make the biggest impact, whether part of an organization or individually. But to then actually stand something up, I think, is a totally different ethos, right? So how exactly were you drawing, I guess, your inspiration to, to build these organizations as an entrepreneur? Do you know the, the first one, Coinographer, um, that it was a mining company. Like you said, it's, it's turnkey mining. The, the impetus behind it was really just seeing that it could scale. And, and I was mining on my own accord. And I knew that we could create these turnkey machines for everybody else to mine on their own accord too. So it was kind of like a meta play of what I was doing for myself to be able to offer that to other individuals. And then getting into the blockchain of things, like the, the big thing behind that was just, I knew that there was a, f a flaw in the current way that the internet of things was operating. I knew that like the, the centralized mechanisms had these, these central points of failure. And that was exactly what the blockchain was theorized could help against. And, you know, the decentralized nature of, of that data being able to live everywhere. So it was really just seeing that market gap and knowing that, that this new technology that was really new at, at the time could step in and help. So I, I think what's really interesting about this is that they, because there was such a space of such, you know, novelty and, and kind of um, ambiguity at the time, and maybe even continues to be as we try to think of applications for the technology and, and how it's going to be used at scale. Um, 
by everyday people. I guess I'm curious, right? Is it was it purely through, as kind of you described, through through discourse with other people who were exploring the space, and through just pure exploration, have you started to develop the perspective, as you just kind of described, that there were challenges with the centralized nature of the Internet of Things in that time, right? Like, I think when you think about, for example, a traditional managed services company, and we talk about. Uh, you know, a consultant, let's say, that deals well with ambiguity. It's ambiguity within a pretty, you know, uh, narrow set of parameters of like a digital marketing ecosystem or a, you know, products and goods company or services company or whatever the case is. And there can be ambiguity there, sure, but you still understand like pretty clear objectives that you're trying to solve for with, you know, relatively available technology. But that's very different to kind of the space you were operating in where you were trying to, you know, change the way we thought about the Internet of Things based on a technology that was still very early. Right. So how did you draw, I guess, the validation of your thinking or find validation in your thinking uh, as you were kind of exploring what your perspective on all of this was? Yeah. Like you said, Peter, it was a combination of, of discourse, communicating with people, talking with you know, like the real visionaries in the blockchain space who were at those weekly meetups that I mentioned. And as that progressed and, and as blockchain became more popular, you know, there were, there were more influential folks, I'll say, who started coming to the meetings. And w- one example I can give is, is GE, right? General Electric. And, you know, they had these issues where they knew that their stuff was was fault tolerant, which means centralized, right? Having that point of failure. If their if their server goes down, they lose that data. And so it 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 really was just natural discourse that led us to saying, hey, like, hey GE, let us run a proof of concept with you where we can show you that you don't have to worry about these central points of failure anymore. How the blockchain can store all this stuff, how we can have these these nodes that are redundantly around the planet to store sensitive information from these machines that are communicating. So yeah, it was, it was just natural discourse and one thing led to another. And just like anything, it just, it just grew, you know? And in those early days, I guess, what was kind of the reception of players like a GE to the idea of piloting something, taking risks, kind of experimenting and learning fast, maybe failing initially, right? Like, because I think there are a lot of organizations and, and people maybe at an even smaller scale that are super tentative and I guess... Uh, anxious about, you know, these unknown or not well-known spaces. And so, you know, as we know in A-B testing or optimization and experimentation, like testing, failing fast, learning is often the best way to quickly iterate and get to, you know, what that future state or solution is. But was there a lot of, you know, overcoming of, of a tentative nature that had to be done in those early days as you were trying to kind of explore solutions for these larger organizations? Yeah, there were t- tons of challenges to get over, tons of hurdles, tons of, of barriers. And really the, the, the companies that we were talking with, there were just a couple of visionaries who wanted to see what it would be like, you know, guys who are willing to step outside of the, the current confines, the current boxes of whatever infrastructure they had and just try something different and through a proof of concept. You know, we weren't talking on anything more than proof of concept levels at that time. You know, with GE, Mitsubishi, companies like that, there was just a few players within those companies who said maybe there is something to this blockchain thing. Maybe there is a future you know, where, where, where there's more of a, this decentralized nature. So it's just a, a couple people who, who happened to have that vision, you know, who didn't necessarily think that the incumbent ways of, of storing data 
we're, we're necessarily going to be the way of the future. I guess uh, the floodgates would slowly or and then very quickly begin to open over the coming years. But I can only imagine how exciting it would have been to to find those people who who were open, let's say, or had that little uh, hunch and maybe what was being communicated and was resonating and uh, that there is something here to kind of test and pilot and explore. Um, was that really confidence building for you as somebody trying to navigate their way through this blockchain space and build something? Yeah, it was, it was amazing because it, it was just such a, it, you know, any startup is just continuous uncertainty until you have something, you know, just continual, continual persistence. So having those little wins, having a little bit of enthusiasm from big companies, it went a long way to the morale of, of what we were trying to build. And if we didn't have those, you know, those, those little dopamine rushes every now and again from some positive reinforcement, we wouldn't have continued. Right. And so I guess as you kind of articulated this evolution of kind of some of the applications from, uh, you know, finance to data to then art, right? And then your transition from leading uh, the blockchain of things as your initial startup to then transitioning over to portion based on your passion around the art space and kind of this idea of authenticity and providence, providence of, of assets, right? Talk about like that mindset shift, right? From solving technology programs for organizations like a G or a Mitsubishi to now creating you know, the underlying technology for what we now know as NFTs, let's say, and digital art, um, because that's a huge shift, right? And, and a big risk in itself that has taken quite a long time to kind of land on on the general public. It took a long time. And and just, just for the record, so I was a co-founder and I am a co-founder of Blockchain of Things. They still exist. They're doing great. You know, the, the CEO, Andre DeCastro, he's been a, a, a great mentor in my life and, and has given me a lot of opportunities, a lot of learning opportunities that, that eventually culminated into, into the creation of um, Portion in 2016. And to your point, you know, it was a big jump and the, the transition really be, you know, it's just a series of things. And the transition initially was I was doing those proof of concepts for machines we called them smart devices because they were connected to the internet. And the transition started when I started thinking, I need to, to attach this technology to dumb devices. And those were just objects that weren't connected to the internet. I just called them dumb because they, they weren't smart. It doesn't make much sense. Right. That's, that's what we called them. And dumb objects and dumb devices were um, art and collectibles. Art and collectibles needed to be connected to the internet because there was a huge issue of fraud. Right. To be able to track these things accurately. And just in the same way that I had been tracking smart devices, um, GE jet engines, GE refrigerators, a toaster, whatever, in the internet of things, I knew that this technology could be ascribed to high value assets that weren't connected to the internet to be able to connect them to the internet and, tr and track that value acutely and accurately. That was the first foray. Absolutely. And I guess, I mean, in a conversation that we had prior to sitting down for today's recording, I think you described yourself as an artist. So was that something that was kind of percolating in the back of your mind over the years leading up to finally starting portion and making that leap? And, and I guess, was it a, pa it, was it as much a passion driven endeavor as you were solving like a very real problem that you 
you saw in that space and industry? I was not an artist at the time. And that, that's really important to note. The, the, um, the, the reason for my interest was that my, my mother was an artist and growing up, I had been involved in, in various parts and aspects of the art world, museums, openings, ex- exhibits, you know, some of like the, the culture in New York City of, of what is art, what does it mean? So I had always been a little bit exposed to that. And that was why I saw there being that, that gap of those um, fine art and collectibles to be on the blockchain. Yeah, it was a coincidence. And so Portion started in September of 2016. And when I was researching ways, new ways essentially, to track the authenticity of physical arts on the blockchain, I came across something called the Rare Pepe Project. And there were these people, a very small group, we're talking like about a group of like a hundred people who were making these digital art pieces on the Bitcoin blockchain. And it was a joke at the time and it just kept growing. So I got involved with them because I knew that that technology was extremely powerful. And I started making these rare Pepe's and a rare Pepe is a meme. And we were putting these memes on the blockchain, these digital images. And what happened was, as I started making them, I I would make about one every single day. Totally obsessed with it. The craziest thing started happening where there started to be a market building up. And people started to buy these Red Pepe's. And there were a few Red Pepe artists who started to really start selling work. And as that happened, some it just it, it just began to balloon and expand and go viral really quickly. We started with a few hundred obsessed people, core group of digital art enthusiasts, just expanded to, you know, thousands within a couple months and then tens of thousands. And then those initial early prototypes, those initial early crypto art pieces really paved the way for what would be the NFT several years later. And so from as that was happening, right, and you see this kind of wave of enthusiasm and passion and then this kind of explosion of artists and individuals starting to to interact with this space and this digital artwork, right, building on the blockchain, I guess, um, you know, as that's happening and and portion is taking shape, right? Um, I guess what did you have a clear vision for portion as you were yeah. kind of building it from the outset as all of this was happening? Yeah. So portion at that time was, like I said, doing physical, physical assets. And when I started to, to make those um, crypto art pieces and they started selling, that was all in the Bitcoin blockchain. And that's, that's a really important differentiation. Portion started building a platform to buy and sell digital art on the Ethereum blockchain. And it, the, the, the initial prototypes was that it wasn't just limited to making a rare Pepe. It wasn't just limited to making, you know, one of those kind of like silly images. It was really for artists to start making digital work. And that was the, the next step, you know, from the memes, from the rare Pepe meme to allowing people to make digital art, to allowing, you know, traditional artists come in and, you know, make a Photoshop creation, have a digital piece and tokenize it and tokenize it, meaning that you can prove irrefutably that you're the only owner of that digital image. And so obviously now, right, NFTs are scaling for towards application in a number of different industries, right? Like all sorts of different digital assets in the gaming world, in the music industry. 
what do you see as kind of the next big at scale application of the NFT technology? And I guess what industry do you think is kind of ripe for capitalizing on the underlying kind of concept? Of course, you know, the, the metaverse got super popular because of, you know, Facebook, because of Meta saying that they're going to be a metaverse company. And what I've, what I've really seen is that so the, the NFTs we have now, for the most part, they're two dimensional. Right, you have that image, you own it, and that's great. the The combination of the metaverse with NFTs brings those two D NFTs into a three D atmosphere, and it allows true ownership in the metaverse, which is the virtual world. And I see games really taking off, wearables really taking off, all those things being NFTs inherently. But the future, I don't think anyone's going to be saying this is an NFT. They're just going to say, this is my, like, this is my shirt. This is my, these are my boots. This is my sword. In the back end, they're going to be NFTs. And it's not really going to matter that they're NFTs. It's just going to work. And, you know, Gen Z and whatever generation after is just going to know that they have that ownership of that digital object without having to get too involved in like the tech nitty gritty stuff. I think that's a really interesting concept. This idea that as the the tech jargon associated with these concepts today starts to fade into the background and it simply becomes an enabler of the ownership of, of assets, right? Whether physical or digital um, as part of the metaverse or otherwise, right? I think you're absolutely right. Like that's when you start to maybe see some of these, the, the adoption at scale, interaction at scale with more, you know, I would say, let's call them not more uh, casual, not hardcore kind of um, individuals, right? Because I've kind of paralleled this to the gaming industry. You have historically like hardcore gamers who understand how online multiplayer works, how mass uh, online worlds work, right? And how all these things work. And then you would have your casual gamer who maybe plays like a side-scrolling game, like a like a Super Mario, let's say. Mm-hmm. But it's just funny because I find that over the years, casual gamers, you know, let's say uh, millennials and older generations, right, who maybe play primarily on their mobile phones, have started to adopt really hardcore gaming behaviors and tendencies as they play, let's say, words with friends and connects with connect with strangers across the world and track their scores and achievements and pour real money into these freemium games to unlock different features or, uh, you know, whatever the case might be. Those are all really hardcore gamer behaviors. And it's because all of these um capabilities and things became simplified, less intimidating, easier and more accessible, right? Applied to maybe simpler games and concepts. And suddenly these behaviors have become at scale, second nature. And so as you describe this, I could see a very obvious and real future where, you know, adoption of this technology simply happens because it enables the behaviors that that people are now more comfortable with, I guess, performing. Mm-hmm. Um, do you kind of see a similar trajectory as, as has evolved with people's behavior around games in general? Yeah. And, and history seems to repeat itself quite a lot in, in technology. Um, you know, a, a good example would be like email. You know, there was a time when email was just being created Everyone was super fascinated, like the tech guys of like the TCP IP protocol and this and that and SMTP and like how messages are sent and all these technical jargons and acronyms. But now when you send an email, it just works, you know, and no one, no one needs to, no one needs to care how it works. It was great. And someone did the early guys had to, to create that foundation for what is email today. And it's the same with this stuff in games and, and NFTs and the metaverse. No one's probably even going to need to know what blockchain they're on. 
You know, they're not going to definitely need to know that their NFT is an ERC-721 or an ERC-1155. They're just going to log in, maybe not even username and password in the future. They're going to log in, whatever, fingerprint, scan, whatever it is. And it's just going to work. They're going to have their backpack. They're going to have their sword. They're going to have their items. They're going to have their wearables. And there's going to be a marketplace where they can push buy or sell on all those various assets that they have. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's the the possibilities are honestly endless and it's, it's almost difficult to uh, adopt the appropriate mindset, mindset to like uh, ideate and brainstorm these use cases because we maybe aren't even thinking in the right way, right? Because we're still thinking through the lens of kind of the web 2.0 as opposed to like uh, untethering ourselves for, from from those confines and thinking truly outside of the box, you know, as cliche as that sound. But I want to maybe pull this back a little bit because, uh, you know, as we talked about uh, kind of your progression um, towards starting Portion IO and now maturing it over the last couple of years, into what it is today, uh, you know, it obviously as an organization has grown and then, but you as an individual and professional growing from someone exploring the blockchain space, trying to figure, figure it out, right. Um, drive innovation to now starting a company and leading it and, and, you know, having employees and building an organization and stuff like that, right. Like how has that transition, um, treated you and how have you approached that transition in parallel to obviously still trying to evolve and innovate in the blockchain space itself? It's been a learning lesson for sure. Management, um, you know, the bureaucracy, having to do things and keep everything really tight and organized. It's been a process and and I've been very grateful um, to have had some mentors in the past who've helped and been very grateful for, um, you know, the other guys who have been along on the ride with me. You know, we, we've, we've done rounds of funding. We've, you know, we've been at the, we've been at the top of the roller coaster and we've been at the bottom of the roller coaster, you know, we've been rock right. bottom without any money at all in the bank accounts. And, you know, being able to move through those experiences, those really hard times and learning how to manage people, work with people, encourage people, you know, set boundaries, like all of the above. It's just an experience and it's really, it's just, it's a, it's a lot of trial and error. You know, it's a lot of intuition, I think is the most important thing. Just feeling it out instead of being too logical about things sometimes. Absolutely. And I'm curious also in terms of the people who have joined the portion team over time um, in these still, I guess, relatively early stages of, of, of this entire space. Do you find that for someone to join and be an impactful teammate as you assess their fit, does that um, passion for the blockchain, crypto, NFT space really have to be strong in order for them to be able to cut to the ambiguity and kind of try and figure the space out as you look to evolve portion and, and its offerings? Yeah, knowledge of the blockchain is very important, but what's more important is really a hunger and a drive. And you you can never turn away hunger and drive as a founder. If someone comes in and they're so hungry and they're persistent, but they don't know a lot about blockchain, it's a lot of bonus points being able to come in and, and learn it because it's not the most complicated stuff. And 
it's definitely not essential given all that we spoke about, about how the, when the normative crowd really gets into this stuff, they might not even know to, need to know much about blockchain. And I guess I'm curious what your perspective is on some of these new kind of um, digital economies that are starting to take shape when we think about, for example, playing to earn and some of the blockchain-based games that are popping up and the entire communities that are growing around them with people you know, in, let's say, countries all around the world where economies are struggling, are finding opportunities to have, you know, largely gainful employment in spaces that just didn't exist even a couple of months or years ago, right? Um, what is your thinking around that and how these economies are taking shape and how people are finding opportunities to to earn, you know, ultimately a living through what it is monitoring like these communities, participating, contributing, or playing in these various play to earn games. Because this is a truly wild and kind of untapped space still, I think, really in its nascency. Um, and, and I guess I'm very curious to hear what your um, perspective is on that space. It's, it's absolutely revolutionary for, for an individual to be able to stay home and use their minds to create income instead of having to go to you know, let's, let's just say a job that isn't, you know, to their highest um, enjoyment, right? Instead of going out and doing something they don't want to be doing all day, to be able to sit home, to play this game, to use their mind and to, to add value into one of these play to earn things is just wild, man. And I mean, th- that's the future. And with the metaverse coming, with people having VR headsets, sitting home, that's the future. And it's really more of like a going inward sort of thing where you have your VR headset and you're doing something, you're creating value, you're being creative and you're using your brain. I, I think that's, that's the future. And it's, it's just going to expand into so many different things, so many different employment possibilities, occupational possibilities to create real value that's meaningful from the comfort of your own home. And that's, that's what the internet's given us initially, the ability to be connected and the ability for someone out there to need some service that you can provide now connected through play to earn is fascinating. And, you know, I just, I hope to see a future where, you know, there's all that concern about what is AI going to do to employments and AI, you know, maybe AI will, um, will take, um, let's say, um, menial jobs that exist out there. Can't think of any examples right now. I think that the replacement is going to be play to earn and metaverse occupations. And I think that's how people are going to make livings anywhere on the planet in the future. I think what is uh, a huge mindset shift that, um, you know, individuals who maybe aren't, don't have exposure or knowledge of the metaverse of kind of these play to earn environments and blockchain in general is, is, is this, is the mindset shift around like having to associate significance, let's say, um, to a, a job or a profession or a way of earning, you know, a living or, or, or money. Right. And in, in this case, right. Generally speaking, you can concretely understand when someone goes and builds or fixes something physical or goes into an office and delivers a job in the traditional corporate space. But, you know, it's, it's quite easy for someone who doesn't understand these play to earn environments to simply scoff at like, that's not a real job, right? Well, what is real now? Right. And I think that concept, that mindset shift is going to have to happen. Um, and it's probably, 
going to happen pretty pretty quickly as these economies kind of grow. I'm curious what your opinion is around like what is the biggest I guess hurdle still for stuff like play to earn stuff like NFTs and and I guess the general blockchain and crypto needs to overcome in order for like truly at scale and like mass adoption of the average individual. The big thing is it's really some form of regulation. And I don't mean government regulation. I mean more of like a community regulation. The big hurdle is that there's a lot of scams. It's a lot of NFT scams. It's a lot of crypto scams. There's going to be a lot of play to earn scams, metaverse scams, blockchain game scams. And that's just the nature that this rough, raw sort of experimental space is at. And I think the community really needs to to come together whenever project it might be, whatever set of projects it is or set of communities and ask the hard questions and make sure that the ethics are right, that the philosophy is right. And that, you know, these individuals who are starting these companies or organizations really have the best interests of the community in mind because people are losing People are losing money now, and it's it's um it's a shame to see it happening. I guess an apprehension that many people have with this space in general is that there's so, so little safety net, if any at all. And I think to your point, right, it, it, there is a lot of risk associated still with kind of diving into some of these lesser known spaces, um, particularly if if you're doing so without you know necessarily the right education or knowledge. So you know that community driven regulation that's moral and ethically driven, I think that'll help make create that safety net maybe or make it more welcoming and, and slightly less risky. Absolutely would help. And I guess pivoting from that topic. You know, as as that more mass adoption happens, where do you see portion scaling to? Because today it is, you know, this modern innovative auction house of the NFT space right across various types of arts and connecting collectors with with artists um, through blockchain. But what what is, I guess, version 2.0, version 3.0 of portion over these coming years um, in terms of where you see the the whole space going and where do you think portion is going to grow as the space evolves? Well, a really big thing that we're doing is we're creating a DAO. DAOs are and have been becoming popular for several years now. It stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. And the token holders, the PRT token holders, can vote on the future of the community. They can use their tokens for staking. They can share platform distributions and really be part of it because the community is the most important. The community is always more important than the technology. and the way we're going further to that point is to get more into the metaverse. And when we have these auctions and these drops, to coincide those drops with an immersive metaverse experience. And that might take the form of a live auction in the metaverse. That might be a storefront for one of the artists or the brands that we're working with at that specific time. It might be some games in the metaverse. And it's it's really simply put, it's it's us being kind of a development studio in the metaverse for the ongoing drops to bring those two worlds together to, to get NFTs into the metaverse is really the goal. Very cool. And I mean, the collision of those two spaces and the... You know, enablement of digital ownership and, 
you know, potential interoperability of the various metaverse environments, right, as, as the space involves is just particularly exciting for me. Um, because as somebody who grew up in the space of gaming, there was just always these walled gardens, whether it was from your traditional console um, walled gardens of, you know, an Xbox versus a, a PlayStation versus some Nintendo console to now, you know, ecosystems like iOS versus Android and not being able to carry your assets, your data, your kind of history of, of gameplay from one place to the other. It's starting to happen and you're starting to see bridges through these different spaces um, and these different ecosystems through, you know, cross generation or cross platform play, which is really exciting because it's stuff that the gaming community has wanted forever. And so, you know, your comments around the fact that the community is more important than the technology, you know, that has um, become true in the gaming space where you've seen, you know, competing console manufacturers you know, break down some of the walls of the walled gardens and enable that cross-platform play and competition because it's in service of what the community is begging for and asking for, right? And it's created experiences that that has um, really been in service for the desires of the community. And so it's very interesting to hear you say that that is kind of what's going to drive and shape how portion, I guess, influences the evolution of, of the metaverse, which is, which is very exciting to hear. Um, and I guess you know, maybe a, a final or kind of closing question is for yourself personally, as you know, let's say 10 years from now, 20 years from now, what would you feel would be a fulfilling impact to have left on this kind of new space uh, of blockchain, of crypto, of metaverse, of NFT for you to feel kind of fulfilled on kind of the legacy that you're, that you're laying down? I'd be fulfilled if, if we really helped emerging artists and emerging brands enter into this space effortlessly and, and really make an impact and expand themselves. It's a platform, you know, and it's, and it's for the betterment of the artists who, who are utilizing the technology. So if they can use it as an emerging artist and, and someday be a blue chip artist, hopefully Portion was a great help in getting them there. Very cool. Jason, uh, this has been really a, a hugely educational conversation for me as I kind of learn more and dive into this space. But it's also just been very cool to hear how someone's career can evolve and take shape in the blockchain, crypto, NFT, metaverse space. And I'm sure there are a ton of people who are really intrigued in hearing about that as they maybe explore opportunities in this new space. So thank you for your time. I, I really look forward to seeing how Portion evolves and grows. And I look forward to catching up and chatting again in the future. Peter, thank you. Likewise, it's been a pleasure being on here. Pleasure chatting with you. And I look forward to chatting with you again sometime soon. <laughs>